All right. Well, guys, welcome back. Welcome back to our series in the book of Ephesians called Grace and Glory. And if you, uh, if you are just trying to catch up to where we're at in the book, we're in chapter three right now. But if you missed any of the sermons from last year, uh, just want to remind you guys, we do have a YouTube channel. Just search New Life Young Adults. You can see all the sermons there, as well as we have a podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts, if that's where you listen. And I think there's a couple other ones that are I've never heard of until now. Uh, but yeah, wherever you listen to podcasts, it's probably there. Again, just search New Life Young Adults. You can catch up whenever you're working or just, you know, want, want something to listen to. It's a great way to catch up in the series. We'll be finishing this series in the month of May, Lord willing. We're going to finish all the way through the book. And then in the summer, we're going to dive into a new series. But I've been, I've been really excited to get back to Ephesians because I, I now know that we have laid a foundation with the first few chapters of the book, and all that is going to benefit us as we head into the rest of the book. This is where things are going to start getting a little bit more exciting and applicable, and that's what I'm, I'm really excited for in this series. And I believe... I believe that God has something for each one of us here tonight. I really do believe that. I believe that there is something God wants to speak to you here as we dive into this topic, but we need to be postured to receive. Okay, God's going to speak, but will we listen? That's, that's always the question I think of when, uh, when we gather. So um, tonight as we start, I just want to invite you, let's just posture ourselves literally with our hands, maybe just uh, open your hands in front of you, and I'm going to pray, and this is... This is how we're just going to tell the Lord we're ready to receive. We want to hear from him. So, Father, we are here with our hands open, um, just like we would if someone were to hand us a gift. This is what we would do. We would open our hands and say uh, that we receive it. And so, Lord, we ask that tonight would be no different in the sense that we would hear a word from you. Um, I pray for this group of young adults. Lord, there are so many different stories in the room, so many things that uh, I don't know, but you know. Uh, So many details that I don't know, but you see. And so, Lord, may it be that tonight we walk out encouraged by the fact that you see us and that you are the one who guides us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, um, uh, growing up, I I played basketball mostly growing up. We also played soccer. Every single Saturday, I'd, I'd play soccer and basketball for hours with my friends and then when I got to high school, I, I played on our high school team. Now, I went to a really small, like, really small school. And, like, what I mean by small, I mean K through 12 was 25 people. Okay? Everyone's like, is that homeschooling with a big family? Yeah. It's basically that. Um, and, and so it's not a lot of people. And we're like, but we want to have a basketball team. And so we had to, like... You know, there was no JV and varsity. There was just the basketball team. <laughs> and uh, we convinced all, there were a couple of our friends in, in the school who were like, I hate sports. And we're like, we don't care. You're on the team. Like, we need every single guy to be able to have a basketball team. And we did. So we had, I think it was seven of us. And uh, you, you need five <laughs> to play the game. And we had seven of us. And we, we were pretty good. We actually went undefeated almost the whole season. We only lost one game. Oh, it was so close to having an undefeated season, but uh, I remember this one game specifically because we were, uh, we normally played the games like at three or four in the afternoon, and this is in Mexico City, so it wasn't like insanely hot, but it was sunny that day, and one of the team players couldn't make it, so now we're just six, which means only one person can be off the court at any given point during the game, 
So we start playing the game. I start right away, first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter hits, and I'm just like, I'm gassed. Like, I just have nothing left. And then by the fourth quarter, the, one of the teammates, he's like, all right, I'm out. And so then he goes to the sideline and then sends the only sub we had. And I am just like so tired. I played the whole game. And uh, you know, like when you're so tired, you get that, what do they call it? The stitch, like the, you know, like that pain in your side and, and like water doesn't even sound good anymore. I'm that tired. Um, and, and I was super, super tired. And I played center, which means most of the points I scored, it was just like, I'd sit, I'd stand under the basket and then they'd pass it to me and then I'd just do a simple layup or whatever. And, uh, and that's what I was used to. So, so here's what ends up happening. <laughs> I'm super tired and I call on the guy who had just gone on the sideline. I'm like, come on, man, you gotta jump in. I'm so tired. And he just, he looked at me, he's like, no, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So I was like, okay, okay. So then I'm like hobbling across the court. And, and so this is a play where they, they pass the ball to me and, and it's inbound, and I'm standing under our basket. And all the, you know, both teams are like on that side of the court, and the muscle memory kicks in. So they hand me the ball, and I just do what I normally did as a center. And I was just like, <laughs> and as the ball left my hand, I was like, no, what am I doing? And, and praise God, it did not, I didn't even make it. So, but like the whole court, you heard an audible like, <gasps> Like, what is this guy doing? He's by himself on his side of the court, shooting at his own basket. And, uh, and again, I didn't make it, so praise God. And then I just grabbed it. And everyone's just like laughing the rest of the game. We still won. And, uh, and so that even if I would have scored against us, we would have uh, been okay. But man, I, I was thinking about that story because I think it's a good illustration of what I kind of see going on in the church today. Um, I, I think we have a pretty good sense of what it means to be on the team as Christians, um, but sometimes you, we end up like I was in that game, a little confused about what role we're supposed to be playing in the game, and, and maybe even so tired that we can't play the role we're, no, we, we're supposed to be playing. And so tonight, we're, we're leaning into a topic that the book of Ephesians is now is going to lead us into it, because you have to remember... Two things have been mentioned so far that are predestined by God. The first thing we talked about is that God predestined the plan of redemption through Jesus. That he knew that was gonna happen all along and that's one of the things he predestines. But the second thing that's mentioned is that he predestines, he, he ordains the good works that we're supposed to live out. That's the second thing. And so both are extremely important. Both are a big deal. We shouldn't be just emphasizing one thing. We should be emphasizing both, making sure they're both getting the right attention. Because yes, obviously we want people to be saved. We want them on the team. We want them in God's family, in the church. But God also cares about what we do once we're on the team. The role that we play once we're on the team. And, and guys, this applies to all of us. This is not something, this idea of we have a role to play in the family of God does not only apply to those who want to spend time working for a church or in ministry, part-time, full-time, whatever you want to call it. That's not what Ephesians is talking about. It's talking about all of you. Every single one of you, God has foreordained good works for you to do. And so that's why um, we're going to call this message here tonight, how, how to live out your calling. How to live out your calling. Here's the plan for tonight. We're going to look at Paul's calling and how it played out in his life here in Ephesians chapter 3. 
And then we're gonna let his way of living out that calling inform us as we try to do the same. So let me just uh, remind us of where we're jumping in. We're in Ephesians chapter three, and, and the last time we were in this series, we talked about how Paul was made a steward of God's grace. And here, uh, God's grace is not talking about salvation, it's talking about the purpose that God had on Paul's life. And Paul's purpose was to reveal the mystery of God's plan now that the Gentiles are also to be included in God's people. So mystery is the part that was hidden in God, and now we know that God's plan all along, we knew he was gonna bless all nations, we knew that in the Old Testament, but we didn't really know how that was all gonna pan out, and then Jesus comes, and he dies, and he makes a new covenant, and in this covenant, in this family that God is creating, the church, he says, Gentiles and Jews, all now inside the same church, he's breaking down all those barriers, and that's what Paul's job was, was to share that good news with the Gentiles and also reveal that mystery. So here's how that pans out in, God, in uh, Paul's life. In Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse eight, it says this. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So right here in these three verses, what we're gonna find is three ways that Paul lived out his calling. And we're gonna now take that and apply that to our callings. What is it that, um, that we're supposed to live out? So when, we, when I use the word calling, I'm referring to the good works that God wants you to, to live out. That's what I'm talking about. It's not just the calling of salvation when God calls us to himself. We're gonna use the word calling for what are the things specific to you that God wants you to do with your life? How are the ways that he wants you to serve him? So here are three ways to live out your calling from Ephesians chapter three. The first thing comes early on in that verse where he says, um, you know, I, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, um, I'll explain it here in a bit, but what Paul's bringing up and the first thing that we need to learn if we're gonna live out our calling is this, we need to deal with our past. We, we need to deal with the past. Every single one of us has to. He uses this phrase, least of the saints, and that might strike you, um, you know, you might misinterpret that because it's not insanely clear like what that means here in this verse, but um, thankfully we have another verse where Paul says this again and he makes it really clear for us. But uh, you might think that he, he calls himself the least of the saints because he's saying like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I do, a, you know, I'm doing a lot of terrible things and I'm a hypocrite. Like I'm the worst of the Christians. And so, yeah, he's planting churches, but like he's sleeping with people in all the towns. Like that's what he's saying, right? Like he's living a double life. No, that's not what he's saying. Um, or you might think that uh, it, it's false humility, right? Like it's him being, he knows he's Paul. Like he's planting all these churches and, and he's writing books of the Bible, right? Like he's the apostle Paul and, but he's like, oh, but I'm the least of the saints, right? Like, I, I'm, just, I'm just the least of the saints. And that would be kind of like a false humility. That's also not happening here. Paul is using that phrase, and we know how he's using it because he uses a similar term in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse nine, where he says this. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
because of my past, that's why I'm using this phrase that I'm the least of the apostles, the least of the saints. He's saying, I have a past. And Paul's past was that he persecuted the church of God. He found people who confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and he killed them. He had them killed. That's what he, he did. And so he's talking about his past. And I love how he models to us that, that as he has been given a calling and as he's been given a grace of God, he is saying, I acknowledge my past and, and I've dealt with it. And, and he's going to show us the right way to deal with it. What he's saying is because of my past, I was the least likely candidate to be chosen for the job I ended up with. Like, I, you shouldn't have picked me, God. Like, I was the one killing Christians, and now here I am unfolding the mysteries of God to the Gentiles. Like, that's what Paul's saying. He's like, I can't believe God picked me to do that. I was the least likely choice for this job. And, and dealing with our past might be one of the reasons why you aren't living out the calling God has on your life. If you don't deal with the past, you won't be able to do the job that he's giving you. And so here are a few thoughts I wanted to share with you guys on dealing with your past. And let's just start off by saying we all have one. Every single one, every single one of us has this. There's not someone who's like, nope, squeaky clean past, like God picked me and I'm, I'm just like the best candidate. Nope, wrong. <laughs> um, we are, none of us is worthy in the sense that we've earned our position or earned the grace of God. That's the whole definition of grace. He's saying you didn't earn it, but I'm choosing you for something for your good and for my glory. That's what God's doing. And so we all have a past. The question is, how do we view it and how do we talk about it? So, um, you know, the first thing I wanted to say is that you don't have to hide it. Uh, you don't have to, you know, be in this group with New Life Young Adults and say, like, I'm totally good to build community, but no one better, like, people better not ask me anything about my past. Like, I don't want to share any of that. It's all like, I'm going to pretend it never happened. There's just too much there that I can't, I just can't even go there. And of course, I'm not encouraging you to share like your past with everyone in the room or anything like that. I'm just saying there is a place for your past to be a part of your story. Um, there's a healthy way for this to exist. You don't have to pretend it never happened because it's part of the story that gives glory to God. Okay, so, so you don't want to pretend that it never happened, but you also don't want to overemphasize your past. Uh, and, and, you know, Paul, he mentions it, but he doesn't spend a ton of time talking about it. He doesn't even share the gruesome details of what it was like to persecute the church. He just says, like, that's who I was. That's part of my story. But then he moves on. It's not the main event anytime he does it. But as you study the books he's written in the Bible, you will see this in there. He's not afraid to mention where he came from. He's not afraid to say that he was the least of the saints because he persecuted the church. But what he does is this. He doesn't forget it. He doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. He doesn't overemphasize it. Here's what we're aiming for. You, we want to remember it in the light of God's grace. That's what's in the middle. You remember your past, but you remember it in light of God's grace. And so when you, when you mention where God has pulled you out, like the things he's done to change your life, you can mention that in a way that causes shame on yourself. You can say like, hey, this is where I came from. And you just feel that weight getting darker and darker. And that's not healthy for you because that's not the way God views you. Okay, he's not looking at you saying, oh man, I can't believe like, oh, what a terrible candidate. Like, okay, I guess I'll give you this job. No, he's saying, look at what I did. <laughs> look, look at the awesome power of my grace in that person's life. He's celebrating that he pulled you out of it. So you remember it and you can talk about it in light 
of God's grace. So the way that affects the way we talk about it is that it no longer takes center stage in your story. So it, it's part of your story. If, if, if your story is a book, it's a chapter in there, but it's not, it's not a section of the book. Um, it, it's just simply not center stage. What becomes center stage is what God did in your life. And it's mentioned with the grace of God. That's what I want to point out to you. Look at how he says it in verse 8. He says, to me, though I am the least of all the saints, and then where does he go to? This grace was given. It's right away. It's mentioned with the grace of God. It's not, it's about what God has done. It's not about what you did. Think about what God has done. Don't think so much about what you did. And I know dealing with our past becomes difficult because um, because our past might be as, as near as, you know, last week or, or yesterday. And, and, and so we have to have a clear sense of what, what I'm talking about when I say our past. It's any of our failures, any of our failures before knowing Jesus Christ or even after knowing Jesus Christ. All that is in there. And um, I wanted to say it this way to help clarify that for you. The Christian life isn't moving from living in sin to living without sin. That's not what's going to happen. It's not moving from living with sin and then suddenly, boom, now I don't have any sin. It's moving from being dead and being a slave to sin, where you had no option. You were a slave to sin, and now you move to being alive and with the hope of glory in you. Okay? It, it, it's a process of finding the hope. You say, well, I don't have a lot of hope in me, but I have the hope of glory in me. See, I can't change me, but God can change me. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And that's the proper way of viewing the way that God is changing you. And yes, you can deal with your past by acknowledging it, by remembering it, but in the light of God's grace. So if we're going to live out our calling, we got to deal with the past. Second thing we got to do, second thing that you have to do is you got to identify your calling. If, you're, if you've dealt with your past, now you got to move on and you got to start identify, identifying your calling. Look at how clear... Paul's calling was. Let me go back to the second part of verse 8 and 9 where he says this grace was given. Here it is. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in the ages of God who created all things. Paul's calling was very, very clear. He's saying it's to preach to the Gentiles and to explain to everyone what are the mysteries of God. What is God unfolding? That's his job. And the reason Paul knew that that was his calling was because Jesus told him. Jesus said, this is what your calling is. And, um, and maybe you're here and you're like, I have that level of clarity. Like, I feel like I had a direct experience where Jesus told me, like, this is what your calling is. And um, there are also stories of many people across the world who, you know, whether it's in a vision or a dream where they see Jesus and Jesus appears to them, he just says, this is what's going to happen now. You're going you're gonna to serve me in this way. I've heard of those stories, but um, that's not everyone's story. And, and so I have to give you a little bit of pastoral guidance on how are we going to identify our calling? How are we going to gain clarity if I don't have a story like that? Because I would be the first to tell you, I don't have a story like that. And yet I have a calling and I have a growing conviction of what my calling is. And so I just wanted to share with you guys very practically, how to identify your calling in God, how to identify your calling from God. Sorry. Uh, first thing, first thing I would say is you need to learn God's heart and voice through scripture. You're going to get to your calling. It's going to get specific. You're going to understand it for your life, but you have to start by learning God's heart and his voice through scripture. What do I mean by that? 
you learn God's heart in scripture. I always think of that story where Jesus um, delays a bit and then he ends up going to see Lazarus and by the time he gets there, he's already dead. And then Jesus knows he's gonna resurrect the guy. Like it's all gonna end up happy in the end. There's a happy end to the story. And yet he sees his friends grieving and he weeps. That's a story of God's heart, guys. He, he knows where this is all going. He knows it's a happy ending. And that Jesus, when he sees the pain of his friends, he can't help but grieve, but empathize, to, to put himself and feel what they were feeling. See, when you spend time in scripture and you see those stories, what you're learning is God's heart. You're learning the way God grieves this broken world that we live in. And the more you relate to God's heart, the more you're gonna be able to see how that's gonna to lead towards a calling that God has on your life. So you wanna learn God's heart, but then you also wanna learn his voice. Um, you can learn God's voice in scripture because that is the voice of God. That is the revelation of God. So I always say it this way. I say any ministry that comes out of the Bible is the ministry of God. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who inspired it. So anytime you receive guidance from this book, that's God's guidance. That's not, this book does not have a, a, an identity of itself. It is the revelation of the God of the Bible. And, um, and so you want to learn God's voice through Scripture. So, um, so when, you, when you read the Bible, there are going to be times that things start jumping out at you. Okay, And as something jumps out, you should respond to that. And, and then you should test it after you live that out and just ask yourself, was that God? Because it'll be very clear as you leave the, live these things out if that was God. And I, I'll be the first to admit, there have been times where something jumped out out of a passage and I'm like, oh, there it is. That's God, right? And, and so I, I put it into practice and I, I'm like, that speaks to the circumstance I'm in right now. And so then I live it out. But then as I lived it out, it, it was very clear that that was not a voice of God, that was me convincing myself it was God to give myself permission to do the thing I wanted to do in that circumstance. So I, I, I learned through that process that I, my flesh got in the way and I simply imposed the voice of God on something that that was not the voice of God. But here's the thing, even going through that experience, I still learned a lot because I learned what wasn't the voice of God in my life. And, and if you're willing to put it to action and, and just say, like, I'm going to test it. I'm going to, like, live this out. You will learn over the years, little by little, suddenly you start gaining confidence and you're like, okay, no, that, that's God. <laughs> that's the voice of God. And you learn his voice as you read the scriptures and as you put it into practice. And that's going to be the first thing you need to do if you're going to identify your calling that is the grace given to you from God. Second thing, you need to... Pay attention to the intersection between your burdens and your opportunities. We all have burdens. I, I could have used the word passions even there. Things that, things that you think about often. You're like, okay, I, I witnessed this and I saw this need and, and I'm grieved. Why? Because I'm, I'm learning God's heart and God's grieved over this topic. And so I have a burden for, for these people or, or for this topic or whatever, this situation. I have a burden for it. I have a passion for it. And then pay attention where your burdens intersect with the opportunities that start coming your way. So if a door opens and you're like, well, that's kind of has to do with that burden. You need to walk through that door right away. Because that's the first step of you finding out this calling. You're gonna be able to see that as you have a passion in your heart, the opportunities should start coming your way and you just need to be ready to walk through that door. 
you're gonna be able to identify your calling if you're willing to walk through those doors. So that's why identifying your calling starts with learning God's heart and voice, but then you gotta start paying attention to what's God up, what is God up to as your burdens now intersect with the opportunities that are before you. And then the last thing you need to do, this one's really important, you need to let your calling be affirmed by others. Let your calling be affirmed by others. I've, um, I've had friends who, this is, the, this is the step they skip. They kind of pick their calling themselves and it's less about receiving a grace from God and more about just picking something they wanted to do. And they wanted to do it for God, there's nothing wrong with that desire, but they refuse to let it be affirmed by others. And, um, and I'm telling you, when it's a grace of God, it's visible to other people. Yeah. It really is. And so this isn't, this isn't too difficult. When it really is a grace of God given to you, something that God's calling you specifically to do, everyone's just gonna start talking about it at some point. They'll come up to me and be like, man, I don't know what's going on, but you should keep doing that, right? I don't know what happened when you said that sentence, but like, keep, you know, spend more time doing that. Um, and, and that's gonna be affirmed by others And it's such a beautiful thing. This is why you have to do this inside of church because if you just go out there and you're like, I know my calling, well then make sure someone's affirming that. Uh, We have to do this together because that's how you're gonna be able to have more confidence that that is your calling. Now, let me just tell you, identifying your calling is not like a checklist where you say, oh yeah, those three things, great. Check one, two, three, got it. I know my calling. No, it's not really like that. What it's more like is it's a growing conviction. It's a growing conviction. That's really what a calling is. Some people, they, you know, they're happy to just say like, this is what God's called me to do because they've already gotten that clarity and then that discourages those of us who are like, well, I, I kind of know. I know a little bit. I kind of know like a, there's a passion here and I see God leading this. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's more of like I'm in a growing process and I'm here to encourage you that that's what a calling is. For many of us, it's a growing conviction. I would say that my calling continues to grow. And so it started in one area and then, and then you, you, know, you start putting that into practice and testing and you know, trying to knock on some doors and see if an opportunity opens. And then you do something for a while and then you kind of get a little bit more clarity about your calling. And now it's like, well, I shouldn't do that anymore. I should do this now. And that's totally fine because it's a growing conviction that the best use of your time is to do more of that stuff. That's how you're gonna be able to discover your calling and, and identify it. So I'm trying to just put some meat on the bones so you guys don't get discouraged if you're sitting here in the room and you're kind of like, yeah, I, don't, I, I got nothing in this category. These are the things you can practically start doing because if you don't know what it is that God has given a grace to you, it's not because the grace isn't there, it's because you haven't seen it yet. It's there, that's what he's saying. Every single believer of Jesus Christ, God has foreordained good works for them to walk in. So you gotta deal with your past, and then you have to identify your calling, and then the last point is in verse 10, and uh, it's this, you need to stand with the church. Stand with the church. Now honestly, this point kinda surprised me um, when I was writing the sermon. I did not expect the passage to lead that, but that's exactly what he says. So he's talking about the first two topics, and then verse 10 he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's the church together mentioned in verse 10. Not an individual, though our callings are, are individually applied for us. Not the individual. The church of Jesus Christ is the one mentioned in verse 10. And it says that, um, that we will make known the manifold 
wisdom of God that's just like saying the, the multifaceted wisdom of God, the plan of God, right? The mystery of God that's being unfolded. Um, and it's gonna be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Back in chapter one, we talked about these, these, these spirits. They're uh, the rulers and authorities in, in the heavenly places is a direct reference to the non-physical realm. He's saying to the powers that are out there that try to influence the physical realm but are spiritual. This is not the things we see with these eyes, okay? Um, and he's saying that the church is the one making known to those spiritual powers of darkness what is this, you know, the multifaceted plan of God. It's the church that does this. Now, notice that the verb is, uh, the verb tense is passive. It says that they, they make it known. That's not an active verb, and that's important because what he's saying here in this passage, he's not saying that it's the job of the church to speak to the spiritual forces of darkness or preach them, proclaim, or rebuke to them. Um, That's not what's being said in this verse specifically. He's saying it in the passive tense to imply, uh, it's like as if he's saying when the church simply is the church, when the church is the church, those spiritual forces of darkness are made witness to the power of God. There's there's no action that the church has to do to the powers of darkness. The church simply has to be the church, and that will happen. Because think about it. We're in the first century here. And and those spiritual forces of darkness, they thought they had just won on the mountain of Calvary. They thought when Jesus was murdered, they're like, we did it. (laughs) All the things they were trying to influence towards evil, and then they, they kill the man. And they think they win, but they're finding out now that that was God's plan all along. That the way he was going to bring freedom and victory was through the death of his son. And so that's why he resurrects on the third day. And he's taking people from death to life. And now here we are in the book of Ephesians. And there's Gentiles who hated Jews and Jews who hated Gentiles. And now they're brother and sister. And the powers of darkness are like, wow, we really, we're not winning We're not winning. Every single time the church is the church, the powers of darkness witness the power of God. And so you think about what we've studied in the book, all the things that we see when the Spirit leads us, when the Spirit seals people, when people believe in Jesus Christ, when the unity in the church exists, all those things, we make witness to those rulers and powers of darkness. Now, our our participation in spiritual warfare is real. I'm not saying that we don't have an active role in that, but what I'm saying is that's actually left till chapter six in the book of Ephesians. So we'll get to that at the end of this study. What's being brought up here is that when we simply are the church, we will will fulfill that role. So why do I say this last thing we need to focus on is to stand with the church um, is because that's part of living out your calling. You have to stand with the church in order to live out your calling. And my concern for you guys is that maybe maybe you feel like you've dealt with your past in a healthy way. Maybe you feel like you're starting to identify your calling, but then you realize that there really isn't a great fit for your calling inside the ministries of our church. And so you just give up or you just put it on pause. And that's my concern for you guys because um, you shouldn't stop living out your calling regardless of what ministries are or not in our church. Those things should not be connected. So let me just call it for what it is. The fact is this. Some of your callings will line up with the specific ministries of our church, and some will not. 
That's just true, okay? There's 150 people in this room. There's just no chance we're gonna have 150 ministries that all line up with every single one of your callings. But that's okay. I really do think that's okay. Um, this is why uh, some local churches, if they don't think it's okay, then they just start adding all these ministries and programs. And there are some churches I've walked into, and I'm like, you see the list of things they're trying to pull off every single week, and you're like, oh my gosh, like who does this? Like there's 40 things you guys do on Friday night. Like this, what's going on? I think what's happening is they believe that if there's a calling on any believer that the church now has a responsibility to create a structured ministry around that calling. And so you end up just in this program-driven church, and where that story leads is you spread yourself out so thin as a local church that you don't really accomplish much. And I'm not here to accomplish little. I'm here to swing for the fences with my life. And so every church has to make some decisions, and that's just true. This is just what it means to lead a church, and that's why your doctrine of the church really matters when it comes to this topic. Here's the big picture. There is one church of Jesus Christ, one church of Jesus Christ. There's not multiple brides. There's one bride, the church of Jesus Christ. We refer to that as the universal church. But the local church refers to the local gathering of the universal church because the universal church is all across the world and we, we can't gather together. We all live in different time zones and, you know, et cetera, all these different reasons why we can't gather together. Um, but that's why we gather locally. And that's what, we, that's what I mean when I say a local church. It's just the gathering of God's church in this area. And as God's grace is given to these local gatherings, that means, logically, that their, their callings won't all be identical. Because it's different people over here than it is over there. All the same church of Jesus Christ, but different people means different callings. Different people over here will mean different callings. And so that's why when you look at New Life Church and you think, okay, so we have a world prayer center. And I'm like, that's awesome. And we like, we're getting these prayer meetings up and going. And I love everything that God's doing because I believe that's one of the specific callings that God has on New Life Church. But every church has to pray. That's not an optional thing in church. But it definitely is optional that you have a building named the World Prayer Center. Okay? That, not every church has to have one of those. And that's totally fine. What we're saying is we believe God has called New Life Church to have a World Prayer Center. And so th there's a limit to how many of those things every church can have. So because there's a limit to the ministries, then the question comes up, so then what of all the calling, all the grace that God gives to the believers? What do we do with that? So I wanted to come up with an example of something I've never heard someone say that it's their calling, and I'm not trying to make light of it. If this is your calling, I really am not trying to make it fun of it. I'm just I'm trying to come up with something I've never heard before. So, um, so let's just say your calling is that you, um, you just have a passion for mountain climbers, okay? So your you're like goal is to somehow like be at the top of Pikes Peak and like wait for those people who just, you know, climb Pikes Peak through the night or during the day and you like, that's the people you wanna minister to, okay? So that's the premise. So then that's the calling that God placed on your life. So then you can come to church and you say, okay, we need, we need a building at the summit. We need some sort of like worship team up there. We need, uh, we need money, we gotta give those people water, like, we gotta give them, like, gift certificate, like, you know, you can come up with all these ideas of ways you can minister to those mountain climbers, and all those ideas are awesome, but do you understand that, like, that's not necessarily the way you're gonna live out the calling. So then you might come and you have a conversation with me and you're like, this is my passion, this is my calling. And then I'm like, yeah, but we're not gonna build that building and we're not gonna do those things because there's a limited amount of things that we're gonna do as a local church together. There's a limited amount of things. 
So then what that story leads to is then you're like, well, then I'm just not, I'm just not gonna do it. And if you do that, you are withholding the grace of God to those mountain climbers. Because that calling wasn't placed on this church, that calling was placed on you. And so you, you, you kind of start shoving your story and then you start blaming the church for you not fulfilling your calling. And I'm trying to tell you guys, whatever it is that as you learn your calling, there's no one who should stop you from doing that. There's no ministry, there's no pastor, no matter, even if you're like, man, I, I need this, I need this, and if you don't find it, you just start serving God in the calling and you just let God figure out all those things. If you'll just be faithful to the calling, you will, <laughs> you have no idea what God's up to. You will be blown away if you're just faithful to live out that calling. And so, the church doesn't have to make a ministry of your calling every single time, but it does need to support you. And you need to stand with the church. I don't want it to be that you feel like you have to leave the church in order to fulfill your calling. So we might not be able to build a ministry around it, but you know what we should be able to do is we should be able to know what your calling is. That you would be able to feel known here in this place. That there are people around you that they're like, you know, I'm gonna head up on Saturday to Pikes Peak to do the calling that God has on my life and we're praying for you. There are people in this room praying for you. That's what it should be. Maybe we don't support it by making a ministry, but we should support you. And you should stand with the church. If you're gonna live out your calling, you gotta deal with your past, you gotta identify it, and then you gotta stand with the church. Stand with the church. All right, three final verses before we bring this to a close. And uh, the way I wanna close tonight is found in these verses. Back to verse 11, it says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Check out that last verse, uh, verse 13. Um, some people don't think Paul wrote this book because they think it's impersonal. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, look at verse 13. He's saying, don't get discouraged because I'm suffering. Don't lose heart because I'm the one who's going through suffering. Why is Paul going through suffering? because he's sharing the gospel with the Gentiles and people don't like that idea. They're not happy with him because he's fulfilling the calling God gave him. And as he's sharing the good news with the Gentiles and then unfolding the mystery of God, it's ruffling many people's feathers. And so he's been beaten and specifically right now he's in jail because of that, because of the calling. And he's saying, guys, you know me and I love you and we love each other, but just don't get discouraged because I'm suffering. Why? Because this suffering's for your good. Because there in Ephesus, there's Gentiles and Jews who are brothers and sisters and acting like brothers and sisters, and that's for your good. And so I'm, I'm super willing to pass through this suffering. And, and back to verse 11, he says, it's according to the eternal purpose, realizing Christ Jesus our Lord, just reminding us again, this was God's plan all along. The plan of redemption wasn't plan B. It was already plan A. This is an amazing thing about God's heart. He knew that we would fail him. He knew we would sin. He knew all those things. And yet Genesis 1, he creates it all well and good in relationship with him, knowing full well the story that would happen and that he would have to send his son to die so that those who believe in Jesus Christ might move from death to life. That was God's plan all along, but because of the work of Jesus, verse 12, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have access to God because of what Jesus did. 
That word right there, we have boldness. It's, uh, you could also translate it, we have freedom. Um, there was a time in history where if you and I were like, hey, let's go talk to God about that, I would be like, great, could we go maybe on like Saturday? You'd be like, what are you talking about? Well, we gotta go to the tabernacle. We have to go to the temple if you wanna talk to God about that topic specifically. And you're like, okay, well, this is kind of an urgent situation, so what else do we do? There is no alternative. We have to go talk to God in the way he said we can talk to him. But because of the work of Jesus, that's no longer the case. If you need to talk to God about something, we can talk to him about that right now. We have access in what he says with confidence. The way we're supposed to come into God's presence, not sheepishly, not like, oh God, would you like maybe spare a few minutes to like listen? He's like, no, no, come on in. Like come and bring your heart, bring your thoughts, bring your joys, bring your grief, bring it all. Bring it into my presence. You have access to me. That's what God's saying. So I felt led tonight to pray over the things that we just talked about. So here's how we're gonna do it. Um, I mentioned three things, three ways to live out your calling. You gotta deal with your past. So here in a bit, I'm gonna start praying and I'm gonna say, Lord, I pray for those who need to deal with their past. And if that's you, if there's something God's stirring up in you, all I'm gonna ask you to do, we're not gonna be looking around, but I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand as I say that. Then you keep that hand in the air as I pray over that topic. Okay, then after that I'll say, Lord, I pray for those who need to identify their calling and then you can raise your hand if that's the point that you want to pray over. By raising your hand, all you're doing is just putting a physical representation to show God like, thank you God that I have access to you and here's the things that are resonating, okay? And then after I pray for that, then I'll say, Lord, I pray for those who need help to stand with the church in their calling and then we'll raise your hands. And you can raise your hand the whole time if you want whatever it is that the Lord's stirring in your heart, that's what I want you to respond to, okay? clear? So let me, let me pray for us, and then uh, you guys raise your hand as the Lord leads. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Father, Father, I just feel like there's people in this room who don't believe that there's a calling on their lives. They think they're just in the background and you don't have anything for them specifically and so Lord would you just speak to them right now just breathe on them and show them that yes you've called them you've saved them you've saved them into a family into a people but you have something you want to do through them it's not just grace for us it's not just grace in us it's grace through us and we want to get there God maybe we're not there tonight but we want to get there so I pray for every single person who doesn't think that they have a calling, God. Help that to begin tonight. Help step one to be tonight. So Lord, now I pray for those who uh, need help dealing with their past. Lord, you see these hands. You see them. You know them by name. You know what they're referring to. You know what it is that's stirring in their hearts. And God, we thank you that you've pulled us out of that past. We were the ones who were dead and now you've brought us into life and, and we have hope. We have so much hope, not hope in ourselves, not hope in our strength, but we have hope in you. We have a confidence in you. You are doing a new thing in us. You have made us a new creation. So Lord, for all the hands that are raised right now, I pray that you would heal, that you would give a, a clear sense and understanding of what their past is. Help them to remember their past in light of your grace. 
for all the voice of shame that's yelling at them, Lord, I, would, I pray that you silence that voice right now. No more shame in our past, just grace in our past. No more shame in our past, no more condemnation in our past, just grace in our past. And Father, now I pray for those who want to identify their calling. Lord, help us to have a growing conviction of what it is that we should be spending our time doing. Uh, our life is too short. We have no idea if we'll be alive tomorrow. And so give us that urgency and that desire to, to figure out what it is that we should be spending our time doing. Lord, help us to learn your heart and your voice in Scripture that every Tuesday night we would learn that more and more. That every time we spend time in your word, we would hear that more and more. Lord, I pray for all the burdens that are in this room. I love that our burdens aren't the same. Everybody's dealing with different things, thinking about different things, have different passions, and I pray that you would start opening doors, opportunities for them to step into that. That you would, you would create the intersection between their passions and their opportunities. And God, I pray that we would be an affirming culture to be quick to affirm the things we see you doing in others. That as we start stepping out and trying to identify our calling, that we would be able to say, I see God in that. I see God blessing you in that. I see God giving a grace to you in that. And may it be that our conviction, our growing conviction, would increase in this next season, God. That's what I pray over. And finally, Lord, I pray for those who want to figure out how to stand with the church in their calling. How, how do we do that? How do we line up our calling with the fact that every local gathering of your church has a limited amount of ministries that it can, it can organize, it can mobilize? And so, Lord, for the callings that have been put on pause, we pray that you would now resume them here in this moment that you would make clear what is just the next step that someone here has a calling and they need to do something about it regardless of what a local church can or can't do. May it be that we would get to see the things you want to accomplish through us here, this group of people, these young adults, for such a time as this, God. What do you want to do here? And help us to support each other. Maybe not with a structure or mobilization, but yes, with relationship. Lord, for that person who feels like their calling is just completely unseen, would you help us to speak life into that person? That they would feel seen, that they would feel like they're not alone in the calling, but that they're supported here because here we are brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters help each other out and care about what's going on in each other's life. So may that be what you do here. So Lord, for all the hands that were raised in what we just said, we just say, have your way. Have your way. We're submitting to what you want to accomplish because you're the one who stands above all of it. You're the one who is the father in heaven and who sends his grace to his children. <laughs> you're so good to us, God. And that's why you're the one that we worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together.